Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Imago Day, it is good to be with you this week as we start a new series called Authentic Spirituality on the Life of David. Before we do that, I have a couple announcements that I want to share with you. One is that we will be beginning to live stream here in a couple weeks uh, for our 21st anniversary on October 17th, we'll be going to live stream. What that means is that you'll be able to tune in at 9 or 11 and join us live in an in-person kind of worship experience through live stream. Or you'll be able to watch on demand directly after that 11 o'clock service. And so we want to let you know about the changes that are coming up there. You can find more information on that below. The other information I want you to know about is I'm going to be starting a leadership class called Leading in the Way of Jesus. And if you have been a leader here for a while and you feel like you need kind of a tune-up and a refresher, or you've been with us, maybe you're new, maybe you've been hanging out for a while and you're just going, I want to step in. I'm in a place where You know, in a few months, I'd like to be helping facilitate a group or doing something. I want to invite you to join me for a six-week class on leadership. It's it's going to be looking at kind of the inner life of a leader. We'll be joined by Pastor Michelle and Alex and Pastor Ben, getting some hard tools, but also looking at what is a Jesus sort of biblical theology of what it means to be a leader. And so I hope you'll join me. That starts October 10th. You can sign up at the link below. All right. The other thing that I wanted to remind you about is along with this new series, we have created a study guide. And so we, uh, I've written this out. It's about 45, 50 pages, and it'll take you through five days a week where you'll be able to go deeper into this study. Uh, There's a scripture portion for you to read, time to reflect, kind of prompts to pray. And why I want to encourage you to do that is so that as we go through this series on authentic spirituality, we're looking at the life of David. And I think for so often we hear these stories And what religion has the propensity to do is to turn all these stories, these Old Testament stories in particular, into moral religious stories. Stories about how to be good people. Stories about how to do good, think good, act good. And while we don't want to lose the moral dimension, because it does matter, but that's It's on the fringe of the story. That is never at the center of the story. God is at the center of the story. And because we're dealing with God, that means we're dealing with Jesus. And so as we walk through the life of David, the reason that I've titled it Authentic Spirituality is because the David story is a human story. It's a story of a man who at times is good and at times is bad, at times is absolutely wicked and horrible, whose life is messy, who finds himself at the pinnacle of God's 
design and purposes and at other times finds himself in caves in the wilderness feeling like he's been completely forgotten. And what we really find in these 3,000-year-old stories is we find our story. We find ourselves in these stories. And we need to hear these stories because for 3,000 years, they have, they have worked on us. They have worked in us to bring us to a place where we get recovered. We get rescued from religion and morality and get centered again where we can be the real us before the real God. And so part of what prompted me to write this study guide was to keep us in this story, not just on Sundays and not just when you're online or in person, but also throughout the week. And so what I would encourage you to do is pick one up. Uh, they're available in the lobby. You can pop in on a Sunday and pick one up. Uh, we may be able to have some uh, available at the desk during the week, but we also have them digitally available at the link below. And so you can just download the PDF and work through it. Uh, I'd encourage you to grab a friend, grab somebody within the community, do it over FaceTime or Zoom or get coffee and walk through this together. Because part of authentic spirituality is we don't do it alone. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. I want us to jump into the David story. And again, I wanna encourage us to fight reducing this story uh, to something that we can control, something that we are so familiar with that, that it almost has no impact on us. And if you are a millennial, it's gonna be even more challenging because you were raised with like veggie tales, right? You were raised with David as an asparagus or a cucumber or something. It's even worse for you. And, and so we wanna recover that, that these are real historical beings that God was involved with that these are true stories that actually happen and that they are a history and a spiritual history that invites us to uh, engage and learn about our own spiritual history as we walk alongside them. So we need to let the text live is what I'm saying. Not simply read it as though it is a, a story and a narrative, but to let it live and in letting it live, what we're doing is we're admitting that God is in the text. God is in these stories. They're filled with God. They're holy. They're filled with light and revelation. They're understandable, meaning we can, we can understand the story, but they're never figured out. They're never dissected and completely understood. Which means they're always capable of surprising us. They're always capable of showing us something new, confronting us in some way, changing us in some way. Thousands of years later, with each new reading, God shows up alive in the text, alive in the story, and meets us in it and changes us, which is why that caution is so strong for those of you particularly if you've been raised in the church and 
heard these stories throughout Sunday school that you have maybe become over-familiarized with them and, and somewhere in your mind you think these are uh, historical artifacts. These are stories about days gone by. They don't have that holy God living within them. And so we need to rescue that because that's not true. They're not just historical artifacts. That God is alive in the story, revealing himself, calling us to himself, confronting us, meeting us, changing us. Calvin said this, that the David story is not a model. In other words, it's not a moral model, be like David. It's not a model, but a mirror. A life lived by faith and the reflection of the mirror is God's grace and light. So that when we look at his life lived by faith, it's a mirror that reflects God's grace and light to it so that we can see ourselves in the story. It, all David's story is, is a life lived by faith. That's it. Which means that it's a story that includes dark valleys as well as big mountain vistas. It's a story that is from birth to death. It's a story of long stretches of silence and questioning and solitude and intense moments of encounter with God. It's a story that's just like yours. And like all stories, our stories are always happening in the middle of somebody else's story. So when David's story begins, it happens in the middle of both Samuel's story and a guy named Saul's story. So Saul was the king that Israel had prior to David. Samuel was the prophet. And so before they ever had kings, what, what, they, what was understood is that Israel was not like other nations. They had God as their king and a prophet who would speak on God's behalf to them. But eventually, God foretold this in the book of Deuteronomy that they would get tired of that, that they would want to be like other nations, and they would want a king to lead them. And so Samuel anointed Saul, and Saul was a, a head taller than everybody and uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, I believe. And so they anoint him king, and he becomes king. And over years, he becomes great in his own eyes. He begins to despise sort of anything that is outside of his control. He believes his own press that he is a king with absolute power and absolute authority to the point at which he deems himself even a prophet, uh, that he is capable of doing what only God has set aside for prophets to do. And there comes a moment in time where God simply rejects Saul. Saul has rejected God, and then God rejects Saul. And, and for Samuel, it is a, a moment where his heart is broken because he wants Saul so badly to succeed 
Acts chapter 13, verse 22 summarizes it like this. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so that's where we pick up on David's story. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And I, I want to just read the story for us. So the Lord says to Samuel, who is mourning because of Saul's rejection of God and God's rejection of him, he says, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Now fill your horn. And go on your way, because I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I'm chosen one of his sons to be king. And Saul says, how can I go? Because if Saul hears this, he's going to kill me. And what you have to understand in that day, for Samuel to do this, it is absolutely treasonous. Uh, when the prophet anoints another king, and because that's the only way you can become king in Israel, it is an act of treason. And so Samuel knows if I go do this, Saul is going to have my head, basically. And the Lord says to him, look, take a heifer with you. Say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You're anoint for me the one I indicate. So essentially, go there, tell him you've just come to worship, right? You're just here to worship with him. And uh, that's why you have this heifer. You're going to sacrifice. We're going to have a feast. We're going to worship the Lord together. It's going to be beautiful. So Samuel does what the Lord says. He arrives in Bethlehem. It's a small town. The elders of the town, it says, trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? And you get a window into kind of the loneliness of a prophet. Prophets are people who you never know when they're showing up, if it's good news or bad news. They are there to enforce God's covenant. So they, it says they trembled when they met him. You don't want to see the prophet at your front door, basically. It, it's not usually good news. So they're like, oh, crud, Samuel's here. Like, why in the world is he here? What did you do? What did you do? Uh, do you come in peace? And he says, yes, yes, yes. I, in peace I have come. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. So they consecrate Jesse and his sons, and they invite him to the sacrifice. And, and it's basically like kind of a, a party in a sense. There's religious festivity to it. It's a worship celebration. The prophet is in town. That's a big deal. Like he doesn't visit these little towns very often. And so they arrive and Jesse has all of his sons there and he invites them to the sacrifice. So in other words, this is fairly private. This is happening with Jesse and his sons and in a small group of people. And Jesse shows up and he sees Eliab. Now, Eliab is the oldest, and Eliab is, uh, he is an Israeli Instagram influencer. He has made all of his cash selling 
protein shakes and has a great six pack and millions of followers. And Samuel takes looks one look at the guy and says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, right? Eliab has everything going for him. And the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse then calls Abinadab, and Abinadab is, he is impressive in his own right. He got a full ride scholarship to uh, Jerusalem U. He's a soccer player. He's, he's just really talented, very popular. Uh, all the young ladies are impressed with him, and he passes in front of Samuel, and Samuel is like, oh my gosh, Abinadab, right? Samuel says, yeah, that's not the one. And then Shema passes by. Shema is nothing like Eliab and Abinadab. He's got long hair. He's in a band. He like tours. He's, you know, they're up and coming, but it's kind of an indie Jerusalem thing. Um, and again, stellar guy. And Samuel hears, nor has the Lord chose this one. Jesse has seven of these sons, and I don't really, I, I'm not creative enough to give them all names and Instagrams and all that stuff, but you get the idea that none of them are the Lord's anointed. And so Samuel is sitting there going, what, do I have the wrong house? Aren't you Jesse? Like God told me to come here. Is this, are you the Jesse that, that is in Bethlehem? Like do, what's the problem? Did I miss the directions of the Lord. And Jesse says, no, well, well, there's still the youngest, I guess. Like he's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so, you know, we think about that, that, that the prophet has come to town. This is a high watermark in the history of this little village. And he not only comes to town, but he comes to your house, wants to worship with you and your sons, your family. And yet David, for whatever reason, in the pecking order, in the family system, within the family dynamics, doesn't even get invited to show up there. He's out tending the sheep. In other words, he had chores to do. He has work to do. He's, he's just taking care of stuff. And Jesse has brought his best, his finest. And, and there, there's a sense of pride about these seven that he's made pass in front of the prophet. So David finally shows up and it says, so they sent for them and they brought him in and he was glowing with health and he had fine appearance and handsome features. So we know that David is not, uh, he's not nothing here. And yet for whatever reason within the family dynamics, he is unseen, unthought of, uninvited. And yet in God's economy, 
The God who says, do not consider his appearance, do not consider his height, don't consider everything else that the world is looking at. We did that once before. Saul was the tallest out of everyone. We chose him as king. That's the world that we live in. We're looking for the best and the brightest, the most attractive. That's what people do. They look for those things, but the Lord is looking for something altogether different. The Lord looks at the heart, and while the family saw a little kid that wasn't of age, that wasn't of importance, that didn't have what it took, he didn't even get invited to the barbecue. God looks at him and says, he is the one. He is the one after my own heart. He will do all that I have for him to do. And the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel takes the horn of oil and he anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon David. And then Samuel goes from there to Ramah. Again, this is a private ceremony. David knows that he's anointed to be the next king. Nobody else does other than Samuel and Jesse and the brothers and God, right? God knows. So the forgotten one becomes the chosen one. I love that story. I love that it is in God's nature to always take the least, the last, the lost, the left out, and to make them the object of his desire. Think of what the writer of Ephesians wrote, the Apostle Paul, when he said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. By the sheer grace and goodness of God, he chooses us. Chooses us before we even know he chooses us. Samuel is sent on his way to anoint David while David is out with the sheep and clueless that all that is even happening. He has been chosen way back here before he even realizes God has chosen him. And the apostle Paul says, just like that, that has happened to you too. Before you were even aware that God has chosen you way back before the creation of the world, God chose you. His word was over you before any other word was spoken over you. It is by the sheer grace and goodness of God that he chose you before you even knew that he chose you. The forgotten one becomes the chosen one. And you ask yourself, why? Why did he choose me? 
we live in a Saul world, right? We live in a Saul world, a world that values the Eliabs and the Shamas and the Abinadabs. And sadly, sadly, too often in the church, that is what we do too. We are looking for the best and brightest, the best looking, uh, the ones who have it all together. And yet time and time again, we see not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, that the heart of the gospel and the heart of our God is that he chooses those who are not the Saul's and the Eliab's and the Shema's and the Abinadab's. They are not the best and the brightest and the most beautiful. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. He has become the wisdom of God, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let he who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, we live in a Saul world that values Eliab and Shaman and Abinadab, but in God's economy, he says, no, but I am going to look for the least and the lost and the left out and the last. I'm going to choose the things the world says are foolish and I'm actually going to redeem them and use them in my purposes to shame the wise of the world. I am going to choose the weak of this world. And I'm going to use them in my purposes to shame the strong and the powerful in this world. I mean, come on, that is our God. So as we sit there, as you sit there, and you feel in a moment, perhaps like this, that you are the forgotten, the left out, the weak, right? The unwise, the foolish, the whatever. The, the gospel to you today, the good news to you today, is that the God of David, the God of the Bible, the God who has come to us in Jesus, is the God who says to you, you are exactly the one for me, right? You are the ones that I want. You are the ones that I choose. You are my A team. You might be the C, D, E teams of the world, but you're my A team. And it is a caution for those of you who are in Christ, who the world does look at and go, man, you are the A teams of the world. Because it is, it is an invitation to go, we should never hold our value by the world's standard. 
We who boast, boast in the Lord. We should never evaluate ourselves with each other, but by the grace of God. And so too often our values become shaped by those same metrics of the Saul's and the Eliab's. But that's not the Lord's. The Lord says, you are not forgotten. You are seen. You are chosen. You are anointed sons and daughters of God because he doesn't just see you. He chooses you before the foundations of the world to be his sons and daughters. And I love in 1 John, he says of the Holy Spirit, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. So much so that you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just at as it has taught you, remain in him. In other words, the anointing that David got was an anointing of Samuel's oil that was symbolic of the spirit that came on David. But the anointing that we got when we put our faith in Jesus was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came into our life that, that John the Apostle says remains in us, that we received it by grace, it remains in us, and that the Spirit teaches us that that anointing is real and we can remain in that anointing. That is your story. We live in a moment where the last 18 months, it's easy to feel like, man, have I been forgotten? <laughs> Have I been forgotten by my friends? Have I been forgotten by people? Have I been forgotten by my church? Have I been forgotten? That's, that's real, you know? Those feelings are real. But what this story shows us, God alive in the David story, is not only are you not forgotten, but you are chosen by God in Jesus, that you are seen and you are known and that you are his, anointed by his spirit. If you have put your faith in Christ, that is your story. It's just like David's story in one sense, but it's unique to you, chosen by God, not because of what you have done or how you appear, but because of Jesus, his grace, his goodness, anointed by the Spirit to abide in Christ, your true King. And the reason that we have this hope today is because we have Jesus, the Son of David, the beloved Son of the Father, beloved of the Father, but hated and despised of the world, the one anointed by the Spirit at his baptism who ushered in another kingdom 
the kingdom of God, the one who was rejected by the world, who was crucified and beaten and tortured on the cross, died and buried, but he rose from the dead as the eternal king of kings. And he invites us to put our faith in him, to experience his salvation and redemption and new life by his spirit. That's why you are chosen by grace. That's why you are anointed by the spirit, just like David, because Jesus is our true and better David. And I don't know about you, but when I believe that, right, to the core of my bones, when I let that really sink in to my soul and my spirit, the emotion that I have is I'm just as surprised as David is. Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't deserve that. Like, it, like why, right? I have all these things, but, but the good response is I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised because God is better than I thought he would be. I'm surprised because I'm more loved than I, than I realized I was. I'm surprised because I'm not forgotten and I'm not left out. And there is a place for me, not just in the world, but at the table of the King of Kings. And so brothers and sisters today, uh, as we introduce you and introduce ourselves into this story of David, I want you to see that it is not just a David story, it is our story. Because David, the chosen one, anointed by Samuel, invites us into a story that is also about us, chosen by God in Jesus, the chosen one. And we too are anointed by that spirit of Jesus so that we can boast in our Lord. Wherever you are today, you are seen, you are known, you are not forgotten. And Jesus has chosen you to be his anointed son or daughter. He has great plans for you in this season.